chat with Griffin and Gear. It's the best podcast to hear all year. It's Crap Chat with Griffin and Gear. Hi, and welcome to Craft Chat. I'm Cisco Griffin. And I'm Genevieve Gear, and we're here today with Beth Beverly. Hey, Beth. Hi, y'all. How's it going? <laughs> Good. So, Beth, can you tell the people who you are and what you do? My name is Beth Beverly, and I am Philadelphia's premier couture taxidermist. Is that true? Is it really? Are you? Yeah. Says me. <laughs> <laughs> and your company's Diamond Tooth Taxidermy. Correct. Yes. And so... Beth, we've got a we've got a lot of things to cover with you. I feel like, um, but it, the time of year that we're recording this, it's right around the Kentucky Derby, and I don't really understand this Kentucky Derby. But I was wondering if you could talk to me about hats and the Kentucky Derby. I thought you might. I thought you might. I did the Derby 2011, and oh. I started doing taxidermy in 2000. But I didn't go to school and get my licensing until 2010. Whoa, so, wait. <laughs> One moment. <laughs> Self-taught. Are you really kidding? Messy. What, with a book or what? Literally with, with a book. Are you serious? And I would pick up That's... birds off the sidewalk. And I made really, really shitty art for 10 years. And were you, I mean, were there fails? Was there stuff that was like was got stinky or like? It's 100% fails. Really? From uh, what? From 2000 to 2010, it was yeah. 100% fail? Um, mostly. I actually visited somebody who bought one of my pieces from back then and um, it's held up okay. I'm horrified when I see my early work, but he said, you know, it's hanging up on the ceiling and... If you don't look too closely. It's and what happens? Uh, so I don't know. I have, This is so out of my realm. What happens when something's not properly, what do you call it, preserved? Right. Taxied? Taxidermized. Is that I right? mean, worst case scenario, yeah. Taxidermized, mounted, yeah. mounted, uh, stuffed. I'm not offended by the word stuffed. Some taxidermists are. I think it's fine because you are stuffing the skin. Um, the worst case scenario is things can rot. Um, you can get an infestation. You can lose just patches of fur. That can happen to good taxidermy too, though. Um, what happened in my case a lot was that um, I just didn't know how to uh, sculpt the proper underpinnings for the skin to go on. And so everything, like eyes would be bulging and ears would be wrinkly. Everything, like, things oh, would be crinkly be and lopsided. And if you've ever seen those, like, crappy taxidermy things that go around on the internet like my work would definitely be featured in that well i think it's interesting yeah like i think somebody brought back uh, there's some historical taxidermy where someone brought back like a lion skin because they couldn't bring back the lion so they brought back a lion skin and was like and went to someone and was like i would like this made into a taxidermy piece but the person who made it had never seen a lion so this thing is like they had the skin and it's just jacked up looking it is just the derpiest looking thing but it's kind of i I kind of love that i think it's it's amazing it's a historical marker yeah what we were doing then yeah it just looks like a bloated stuffed animal with big eyes just bulging out of the sides oh my god okay so what happened in 2000 where you were like yeah i'm gonna skin these animals and stuff them or what like what it it just seems like 
I mean, and then you stuck with it for 10 years. Which is why I finally decided to just... I know, but I, I think a lot of people would have done two years and been like, I'm either going to go to school or I'm going to stop doing this. But you went 10 years and you're like, I'm going to teach myself <laughs> how to do this. And then you were like, I'm going to go to school for it. Like, how did you... Like, how did that happen? And then how did you find the arty side of it? Because it, I think back in 2000, it would have been mostly, I don't know, hunters doing it? Right. And there wasn't... I know there was the internet in 2000, but okay. <laughs> I barely had an email address. I definitely did was not on the internet doing anything. And so I had no idea that... Well, first of all, so I was a window dresser for Daffy's. Rest in peace, Aww. never forget. <laughs> and I would see birds flying into the windows all the time. Not necessarily Daffy's, but other skyscrapers mm-hmm. or tall buildings nearby. And so I was constantly seeing birds on the sidewalk it would break my heart that they're so beautiful and people would just step on them or throw them out. So then I just thought, I need to learn how to preserve these feathers and these feet and figure out like how to make stuff out of them. And I went to jewelry school. Uh-huh. And so I've always been interested in incorporating natural fibers into wearable art. And so I bought this book. I started picking up the birds and eventually... Um, I started playing with whole pheasants that I would buy at the Italian market and then whole rabbits. And through that whole experience, I taught myself how to cook and develop this really um, nurturing relationship with like where my food comes from and how I can use every part of these animals. In the city. In the city. Which is cool. And (laughs) (laughs) And different. That's weird. You know, it's usually hunters that have that relationship or back then. Yeah. But there was, you could make these connections. And then little did I know that in New York and uh, Minnesota and all these other places around the country, lots of other artists were doing the same exact thing. And so this rogue, it was called rogue taxidermy. And this whole movement had been underway, unbeknownst to me, this whole time. And then we all started connecting with each other, which was really fun. So everyone does very different takes. They all kind of employ the craft of taxidermy to express however like whatever means they're trying to whatever they're trying to express so there's sculpture there's um people incorporate it with um like metalwork with woodworking um people take it in every direction and my specialty just happens to be hats and jewelry and very sophisticated home decor (laughs) which is so i spent my specialized in the hats and then um people kept saying to me you need to get to the kentucky derby and so oh i see i see you you won some did you win some prizes not at the derby i got i think i I was premature in my derby dive what do you mean like they weren't ready for it (laughs) i wasn't ready i didn't know how big of an event i in my mind i thought we are going to show up on the scene and rock everyone's worlds. And when I come back, it's going to be a different world for me because <laughs> I will have been discovered. And then I get there and I realize, oh, I'm just a drop in this massive bucket. It's just a sea of women in hats. And no one's paying attention to a nobody from Philadelphia back in 2011. There's like actual celebrities who are going to those events who... Like Nicole, I think Nicole Kidman was there. They have like A list stars that show up to these things. So I like I got there and I realized, oh, this is way bigger than like this isn't the Devon Horse Show. This is. <laughs> so do you the do you Derby. ever have plans to go back and 
Wait, so how many times have you been back? Just once. You just went once. I just went once. But that one time I went, I did the Barnstable Ball, which actually I thought was more interesting than the Derby because it's this... I think it's a fundraiser for something. Honestly, I have no they all idea. Are, but all of those things they do for Kentucky Derby, they're all fundraisers. And no one, yeah, I had yeah. no idea where the money was going. Yeah. But I had, um, I had someone who was I hired like a PR person, and she was the one who got me into all so this smart. stuff. And she took me to this ball, which apparently every year these people, the Barnstables, have it in their mansion. That's their name. Yeah, and you show up, and it's just a weird outdoor indoor party i felt so were you there alone i went with my pr lady and um i just didn't know how to conduct my it was very fish out did you meet any of the barnstables because i imagine them having (laughs) this i imagine them having this ridiculous british accent like oh hello i'm martin (laughs) barnstable welcome to my home um, no. So what did you like set up <laughs> fantasy? Did, did you set up a booth or like did you just walk around in your hat? I just walked around and I brought um, so is the so point? many costumes for oh. the time. So I had like a I had a ball gown. I bought a ball gown from this shop that's no longer in existence, but I think they're online called Wilbur Vintage. He specializes in all the best vintage clothes and everything. So I had this. 100-year-old satin ball gown that I wore. And then I had this, um, like, quail bird that was kind of wrapped around the top of my head. It was so... I felt really cool, and but I also felt terrified of everybody there. And so I just kind of walked around the mansion taking pictures of all the little artifacts that I thought were really cool that really rich people had. <laughs> so you're like the flavor for the party, basically. I think so. That's what, that's what, okay, that's really, I didn't know that that was part of that whole scene. Like, that's really, that's like a subculture. Yeah. It was, it was really interesting. I would love to go back, but I don't see it in the cards for a few years now. So after you went there, um, so what happened with the hats after that? So that's 2011. It's 2019. Um, I kept doing local equestrian events for a few years. So that's the Devon Horse Show, Radnor Hunt, um, Devon Dressage, and the polo, all the polo games. And so I just started showing up with all my friends and... I think we caught, not to toot my own horn, or, but I think we caused a bit of a buzz because it what it is this very uh, old money, blue, blue blood crowd who they're used to their scene and the way they do things. And I started dressing all of my girlfriends in these hats that when I look back, some of them, I think they are kind of hideous, but they're, they're showstoppers. Like here's a woman with a whole duck on her head. Wow. All these like crazy taxidermy hats, and we started showing up at all these events, and I started winning awards because I think they just realized I wasn't going away, so they might as well. That's a <laughs> what kind of awards? They just give you an award, or because it's they have hat competitions. Oh, they even have that. It's like it's such a strange horses? thing at a lot of them, yeah. Oh, <clears throat> so they have is. it's like Ladies Hat Day, and so they have all the ladies parade around on the track. Whoa. <laughs> On the track. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, let's leave it alone. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. There's a lot of problematic. Did they comment on your haunches. 
to raise your boobs. Just <laughs> prance, ladies, prance. Oh God, Yikes. Oh. Yeah, the culture of chattel goes on. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Continue. Um, so, so, yeah, we just kept showing up and having fun and making a splash at these events. And then so I started building a name for myself through that. And then the polo is really where I made some lasting friendships and kind of just got a lot of exposure that way. And then there also, at the same time, this rogue taxonomy movement, um, I found out that they had annual competitions in New York. And so I went to one and I won first prize, <gasps> my yeah. first time going. Wow. And it just so happened the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal was there. And so it was this like sea of attention all of a sudden which like as a new artist like just graduating from my craft school how long like, did that take two three, two years a year no just three months oh really oh wow. it was eight hour days uh five days a week up in the Poconos and I just lived in a cabin by myself so is that what directly led to your uh television infamy uh or famousness it on it was uh, immortalizers, right? Immortalized. Immortalized. Yeah, it was really fun. It who was, was the one judge with the beard? Oh, the who, Brian Posehn. Brian Posehn. Brian Posehn was a judge. Okay, and wait, I, I have starstruck. So, yeah. <laughs> is he a famous taxidermist? I have a feeling. No one would say this, but around the same time that they were filming the show, he was like doing voiceover for some video game that involved like zombie animal hunting or something. And I feel like there must've been something in his contract that roped him into this because he was not happy to be there. Oh, um, he didn't seem happy to be there. And who is he? I don't even know who he is. He's a very uh, famous chameleon. Yes, oh, really? He's, he's hilarious. I'll look it up. <laughs> he's hilarious. I'm in a hole. <laughs> and he's got a uh, fantastic beard. I have to say. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'll find him. So, all right. So you you graduate. There's a big fuss at the um, New York show. Mm-hmm. And then you get scooped up to do the TV show. Mm-hmm. And did you have to, like, live somewhere different to do the TV show? Or? No. They came to me. They had contestants all over the United States. And um, there was four immortalizers, and I was one of the immortalizers. <laughs> and they came to Philly and shot me for like three days, and then it was we... like a la a la Iron Chef. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was based completely off of the Iron oh, Chef really? model, oh, and then we all Iron went to Chef. a soundstage in LA where they did like the final judging and the presentation and everything. And come on, that's cool. It was so <laughs> fun. I would not trade a second of it. I think that. There, the show wasn't a success because I learned a lot about how TV's made during because it was from them asking me if I was interested in doing it to actually filming it was a two year period, and I saw how many levels things have to go through for approval, and then I think because of all those levels, everybody wants their hand or like stamp of approval on something or their own little flavor, and so it just seemed like. Once I saw the finished product, I realized, oh, this is like everybody wanted to throw something into this. And now it's kind of just a pot that's too full of different ideas. And it was, it was, it just seemed kind of confusing and messy, but I loved the experience so much. And it led to like 
speaking engagements and opportunities to teach workshops and the exposure of a reality TV show. Sure. You can't beat it. Did you feel vulnerable afterwards? I, I know that's a weird question, but like, it's like, I feel like taxidermy is this real solitary thing that you do. And then yeah, all of a sudden you're like, everyone's like in on your game and they're in your, they're in your studio because they're just watching it on TV. And, and like, did you just feel like, ah, everyone could see me and it's raw or no, or did you just blossom? Um, I was, I was more worried about how I looked. What do you <laughs> Which mean? Which is so vain. Oh, physically? <laughs> You're crazy. Like how, how I like stood and how I talked and how, like how I appeared on TV. I'm I can see that. Very, I would do the same I'm thing. I'm extremely vain and that's what I worry about. But I actually... I felt, um, and it's not often that I feel super, super positive about my finished pieces, but for where I was at that time with my skill level, I'm actually still very proud of the pieces I made. So I was actually thrilled to see them on television because I felt like these are my babies and I'm so proud of them and I'm so happy that they get to be seen by everyone and that's awesome it was awesome thanks yeah that it's is. not it's like really cool it's not yeah it's not every day that you get that feeling mm-hmm. but and then where even, you nail it in front of people yeah <laughs> like sometimes you nail it alone and you're like oh and then sometimes people see stuff and you're like it's you don't nail it at all. <laughs> yeah. yeah i've had a lot of those lately but yeah. that was one of those times where i genuinely felt really proud of my work and and my words, because we had to stand in front of the judges and discuss like what like, our meaning and what our motivation was, and it actually went really well. But when I saw the finished product, I didn't like the way that I looked. Oh gosh, <laughs> you're, you're bananas! The stylist greased my hair. Oh, you had a stylist. Inch. They had hair. They had hair and makeup. And oh my god! The Did they give you a personality? That was the other weird thing. They do try and kind of push you because I'm not, I don't see, I don't think it has to be competitive. I think Mm. it would just be very interesting if you go to artists' studios and just visit them and do a day in the life. Yeah. But this, they kept egging me on to say things like, let's talk about how much this guy sucks and how you're going to eat him alive and all this (laughs) stuff. I'm like, I've never met the guy, first of all. Second of all, I just went to school for this. Like, I can't be beating my chest and pretending I'm the best. But I guess that's what people think that people want in reality shows. Yeah. Some people like the drama. <sighs> I I tend to like the reality shows that I like uh, are the drama-free shows. So I really like So You Think You Can Dance. And, you do? Uh, fa- has plenty of oh drama, gosh. doesn't it? I don't, I don't think so, actually. I think that So You Think You Can Dance is a very... And that broke her ankle. Is no, 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 no. make it? No, no, no. That's, uh, that's Dancing with the Stars. Oh. So You Think You Can Dance is the one where, where actual budding uh, dancers oh. uh, perform. And, and it's, it's actually it's not that at all. Okay. Um, and I also really like Face Off because it's the uh, horror makeup mm. one because everybody there is very um positive and they you know if somebody can't get their mold open everyone rushes to help them even oh, if it's at the end of the cool. day I yeah like it's a much more collaborative and i think it's indicative of the of the industry 
right? So something like Project Runway. Everybody's really catty, but fashion is all about you, Mm -hmm. your personality, you trying to push yourself. Whereas something like movie makeup or or things like that, it's you're going to get into that and it's going to be a collaborative industry. Um, so, so I think that that translates over into, into that type of show. That's really interesting. It is. Okay. I have another question. Do you use all roadkill? Mm, I started out with mostly roadkill. Uh-huh. Uh, now I work a lot with farmers who oh. their animals, um, my favorite, as creepy as it sounds, my favorite is stillborn, stillborn goats and lambs. Because really? they're so perfectly formed and adorable and tiny, and they weirdly tiny, like this big. Like I'm holding up my hands, like a like, like the a size foot. of a papaya. Oh wow! There's also lammy. Lammy. I love lammy. There's something that they're my favorite animals to work with is the the little lambs and. Anything from a farm, the chickens, all the fancy chickens. Um, I will take roadkill when I see it or but usually you're supposed to work with the games commission because you need a license to pick up roadkill are you technically so unless it's uh i just picked up i saw the strangest thing there was about 70 dead starlings those black spotted kind of metallic looking birds yeah just scattered all over the road uh, about two months ago I have a feeling what happened is they were traveling in that murmuration that they do. Yeah. And they must have gone right into a truck because it was right off the highway because they were just scattered everywhere, not run over at all. But I picked up as many as I could. And as we've been skinning them, um, I brought them into one of my classes so my students could skin them. And we've noted like they have broken legs, broken wings, broken necks. So I'm guessing they all just slammed and then bounced off. So roadkill, farm animals... Uh, people just donate stuff to me. It's if you're in this business long enough and your name gets around, I need. I have two freezers now. My first. Oh, I was gonna. Freezer, I was going to ask you how I, my freezer was doing and if it's disgusting. still kicking. It's <laughs> disgusting. I mean, it's definitely kicking, but there's been so many just weird leaks and you know you keep corpses in a freezer oh, whoa, long enough. Whoa. Whoa. So Genevieve, at whoa. my, I had a. You you probably know. I had a carnival theme wedding. Uh-huh. And as part of it, uh, I bought a freezer and we had a bunch of ice cream in it, mm-hmm. uh, all, all sorts of ice cream that people could just go and get. But we painted it with red stripes. It was a white like chest freezer and we painted it with red stripes. And then afterwards, I was like, I don't, what am I going to do with this? And Beth needed a freezer for taxidermy. So. Oh, my goodness. So perfect. So yeah. perfect. So now it's all funky. It's funky. <laughs> I keep it as clean as I can. And I do freezer inventory every six months. But I've oh. had to buy a second chest freezer because you just acquire and it's so hard to say no when someone's got a really nice specimen so you just kind of start hoarding do you ever have like an ick factor have you ever had it did you have it in the beginning because I'm, I'm like i love how they look but then if i think too hard about it i start to go into like an ick place i get icked out by um any kind of larva so, I mean, fortunately, I don't leave things out. To, like in the summer when you're walking through South Philly and sure. there's worm larvae <laughs> crawling all over the garbage outside. Yeah, I'm that totally with you. That is, is the is, one thing that makes me really sick. That's what it takes, though? Because fortunately, <laughs> high threshold. If, if that happens, 
like in my studio, then I've failed many steps before that. Like that just, it should never happen because you, you get things, you, something that does gross me out that does happen a lot is um, sometimes animals have abscesses that you can't see. And one time I was skinning a raccoon and you, if you're working with larger animals, you can hang them from a meat hook. So you let gravity kind of help you pull the skin off. And I was pulling the skin off, and this raccoon had a giant infected abscess that I didn't know about. Mm-hmm. I hope no one's eating right now. <laughs> <laughs> As I was pulling it down, I just heard this, like, oh, and it God. shot. It was oh, about no. the size of bigger than a quarter, and it shot over my head, just over my head. And if it had been, like, three inches lower, it would have gone right in my face. Oh, my God. <laughs> You know what's in abscesses. So. I don't even, and I don't want to know. <laughs> that was definitely the grossest thing that ever happened. But anything else, it's like every animal shits when it's dead. So you deal with turds, you deal with piss, and really? you just get used to it. Yeah. Wow. And so when you very first, when you were like, yeah, I think I'm going to start stuffing these dead animals, was like everyone around you like, what the fuck? My roommates kind of you had roommates? <laughs> yeah, I totally would have been. I was like, she's got to go. <laughs> I'm voting. She goes. As long as I like practiced my craft in the basement um, near the cat litter boxes, <laughs> I was relegated to a small corner of the basement. I, I always have this memory of a story you told me where you were jogging and you would, you're like, yeah, I've. If I see a bird, I just pick it up and tuck it in my jogging pants and keep running. And that's just, that is the image that I have. Always. You're like, oh, yeah, just tuck it in the, it's tuck it in and it. keep it's going. A, it's so bold. It's so bold. It's crazy. But no one notices. No one ever sees me picking up. I think because everyone's walking around staring at their phones all day, every day. And if you just pretend you're tying your shoelace. Or just always pretend that you know what you're doing and you're supposed to be doing it. That's what pickpockets say. Yeah. That's the same thing. Confidence reigns supreme. Yeah. So what are you doing now? Like, what are you doing today? Like, what's your, like, and what do you, like, what do you want to do? What would be like, whoa. Well, today literally was a studio day and I was um, I'm finishing up a bunch of stuff for um, an, a market that I'm doing in Brooklyn on Sunday called the Oddities Flea Market oh, Ooh. and um, in the grand scheme of things I'm trying to because obviously having a baby kind of puts a hold on mm-hmm. working and I have a lot of anxiety about like I don't want anyone to forget that I'm here and I need to build up my business. And so I'm trying really hard to kind of, I'm applying to every single competition and every single show and all these exhibitions and everything I see um, just to claw my way out of like the mom cave and back into the art world. Did you slow down for, you said 13 months, is it? Mm -hmm. So did you slow down for the year? A lot, yeah. So I was a stay-at-home parent. I'm pretty much still a stay-at-home parent or a work-at-home parent. Um, I work outside the house. I have a part-time job a few days a week. But um, for the most part, I'm trying to, uh, you know, like the first year I was kind of 
only working in spurts when he napped, which is so erratic and not helpful. Impossible. Yeah, impossible. Yeah. So, and I, I think that for a while too, like right before I got pregnant, I just went through a lot of life changes. Like I got divorced. I was traveling on ships all the time. I met a <laughs> husband who had to get a green card to come live here with me. And it was just like one one thing after another. And um, not that my artwork took a toll, but I just wasn't nearly as productive as I had been. You were living. You were filling the well. Life. I was incubating my yeah. ideas. I, I felt, I, you know, when we were like, oh, we should have Beth over for dinner. When is she going to be around? I don't know. I think she's on a cruise ship. Well, yeah, what's the boat? Ships. You're what's always the on a cruise ship. Why are you on a ship? <laughs> because I'm an artist and I take every job that I can get. <laughs> so she worked on a cruise ship. I worked oh, on a... I was like, what are you oh, doing yeah. with taxidermy on a ship? Like fish? <laughs> yeah, maritime taxidermy. Yeah, I just had this... Uh, my part-time job that I have now is a set design company. And they do the sets for Carnival cruise ships. Oh. And so I would go on the ships and just make sure everything was flame retardant and try. Like, yeah, it was really, it's a great job for if you have a passport and no obligations at home. Oh, that's wonderful. Was, yeah, that sounds it was a great amazing. Gig. So, yeah. Do you still have a tub filled with beetles? No, I had to get rid of them. They uh, creeped me out. The larva. Mm. Hmm. Wait, so I thought you had to have beetles to make it all happen. You don't. Oh. Uh, I clean if I do skulls, which I don't work with bones that much. But when I do, I clean everything manually. Oh. A lot of people just keep a beetle colony and will toss. It's not as easy as just tossing the stuff in. Mm-hmm. There's a whole method. But um, I couldn't. They smell, and you have to maintain a certain temperature with the tanks. And just knowing that they were in my house creeped me out too much. So I got rid of the beetles. Sure. No mas. I'm with you. I mean, that was another thing where I was like, (laughs) (laughs) It takes a certain person to do. Like, this is a really unusual art form. Like, I know it's showing up a lot more. Like, I see it around and everything, but I just think it just takes a certain personality type. I just couldn't deal. Also, I'm not fastidious enough. I think you have to be really tidy, right? You have to be very tidy and very specific. And Yeah, you do. I wish I was more tidy. That's why I'm rolling my eyes when you said (laughs) I should be more tidy. I feel like you need to be tidy to own it as well. Like, I didn't... When I first started looking into it, so... I like the look of taxidermy, and, sure, and me too. there's a reason why I own a lot of faux taxidermy mm-hmm. uh, because I started looking into it, and one, it's actually very expensive uh, to get good taxidermy pieces, and two, you have to take care of them because they can get bugs and and mm. all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Like you have to brush them and clean them, and I was oh, like, really? oh, yeah, it's a whole thing, and I was like, oh. It's like having One a more chore. It is on the wall. Yes, wow. it is very much. Do you mm. give instructions when you sell one? I do. I usually just say, um, you know, obviously don't go out in the rain if you're wearing this. Um, mm. Avoid too much direct sunlight because if you if you keep a taxidermy mount hanging out in your window all the time, sun actually breaks down proteins mm. and it will start destroying the hair if there's fur. Oh, Oh, interesting. And you have to, I always tell people, if you have room in your freezer, freeze something at least once a year, put it in the freezer for a few days to kill any bugs that could be on it. Because 
Moths come in. Moths are the, this is my PSA right now for anyone who likes vintage clothes yeah. or wool sweaters. The same moths that eat your wool sweaters will eat um, your textiles, your rugs, your taxidermy, your vintage hats, all of it. And you don't know that they're there because a lot of times they don't even fly around. They just kind of like hop around on your sweater or your hat and lay their eggs and then they die and then the larvae chew up all your stuff and you can get them as easily as checking a coat next to someone who has an infested coat oh, and they oh can goodness. just hop right on <gasps> so just always be aware and the way to kind of maintain is always go through your closet and just keep like move things rotate your hangers vacuum all the corners in your closet once in a while and just don't ever just Leave a pile of sweaters hanging out in the corner of your room for two months. Like all of summer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And in the summer, if you're like, if you're someone who's super organized and you have all these vintage things or you have taxidermy, like as you rotate your stock, take a few days to freeze things and seal them up in vacuum bags. Oh, that's so smart. Again, so, see organized. So some people use mothballs, which I feel like is a real old lady kind of stigma they're thing. They're so toxic. Wow, they really I don't, I don't, know, I don't even know what they are, but they're they certainly have a stink. Mm-hmm. Uh, but other people, I feel like, use cedar. Is that like a real thing, or is that just like a this doesn't smell like mothballs? Cedar's like the moths will kind of be like, mm, I don't really like that smell, but I'm still going to eat this whole sweater. Okay, it won't completely stop them. So just a, I'm very passionate about yeah. moth awareness because they will ruin your life. They will. If you have We had them nice in our things. house when we moved in and oh. it's, it's been a battle. Every once in a while I'll see one and I'm like, wah, because I have a lot of old vintage clothes that I used to wear and I can't part with them because they're so beautiful. And so, yeah, but I'll freeze them now. I'll freeze, freeze everything. It's so yeah. cool. Freeze them, but don't fold them up too tightly because they can live in the little creases. So try to keep it as Jeez. open as you can. Yeah, they're the worst. Wow. So if you see a moth in your studio, do you freak out? Yes. <laughs> I had a client bring me a peacock for repair once. And he brought it in, and it was this beautiful peacock with this really long tail and so many feathers. And he brought it in, and it was just like a winter night, and he was in a rush. And so he just handed it off, and I put it on my couch and walked away. And then I was showing someone who was over at my house, like, look at these beautiful feathers and as I ran my hand through it all of these feathers started coming off in my fingers and I freaked out like fuck they're in my house now who knows how long like I walked away from this thing and so then began like the bot the battle of the moths and repairing that peacock was really challenging did you originally do it or was it somebody else's Mm -mm. work it was something that he bought at a uh, flea market, which now I will never take in. If someone brings me something for repairs, I'll, or if they want something repaired that I didn't do, that they got at a flea market or something, I go to their house. Oh. I refuse. I will never let any antique or flea market taxidermy in my house. Interesting. It will not darken my door. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. So do you do a lot of repairs? Like what, the, what do you do the most? I know you do pets, you do hats, you do... Well, so can we talk about pets? Because I feel like there's a stigma against doing a pet. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it's because, well, I would think that typically 
people have this idea in their head of what their pet looked like and then their pet gets old and dies and so the baseline is not what they remember but then also if it's going to be difficult to replicate this pet that they have in their head is that accurate yeah that's why i don't like doing pets oh i actually phased it out of my practice but i can't seem to get away from them because i have i have certain clients that i've just have grandfathered in like if you have a relationship with these people for so many years or they're friends of friends or or if someone gives me an interesting job so for example someone's cat just died and he wants a soft mount What's that? Which is when you have the hide tanned so that it's soft like a fur like a fur jacket, like a garment. Um, for typical like a wall mount, like a trophy head, you tan the skin so that it dries very hard and crisp. And so it hugs the form and remains very stiff. Um, for a soft mount, you keep the hide very soft. And basically it's a literal stuffed animal, like a beanie baby. So, <laughs> they can Your like them, <laughs> Sorry, make them poseable with like a wire skeleton. You and it's just something that you can kind of hold and hug. And people do that. This will be my second pet and third soft mount commission. Um, yeah, people people like that. I think it's like a fun challenge sure right you look at it differently so for me that's fun to do other people will have me i still do pets occasionally um i recommend that people get them in a sleeping pose because that just seems more accurate to me than to have your animal staring at you from a shelf somewhere but i also you know it's it's like if that's how you want to process your grief Mm. by all means do it but whenever someone contacts me I try to refer them to this woman named Lauren Kane out in California because she's a specialist on pets. That's all she does. And she has full service, um, afterlife, everything in her studio. Like she does water cremation. She does, um, she does it all. She's great. But if they can't work it out, like shipping the animal over there, I'll make exceptions and, So I'll do, but I always say, if you can, freeze your pet for like a week just to think really hard before you engage this process. Because once, once I start, I'm not stopping. Yeah. You're getting this animal. (laughs) Uh, What do you think about, I've always thought of the idea of, uh, you know, of a cat articulated skeleton. That's really cool. You would do that to your own cat? Well, not while it's alive, but no. I feel like if it died, that's an, it's, it's, it's the expectations scientific. are different. It's more scientific. Ah, the expectations emotional. are it's different. Removed. It is a little removed and it's, re- I think it's really interesting. Um, yeah. I do skull cleaning and I actually, today I did some rat vertebrae earrings for a client whose rat died years ago it's i've i've been really dragging my feet on finishing this piece (laughs) but skeletal articulation is so time consuming and so difficult that i won't do it but i think cat skeletons are really cool i'm still coming to you i'm gonna cash in a favor oh my god God. (laughs) it'll take 100 
hundred years, <laughs> you're gonna wind up with the vertebrae all out of order. I've seen on Instagram people do it. I won't know it, the difference. And ribs like, will be facing the wrong way. They like. I think they dye it different colors. Is that something that's happening? I I am following someone right now where they keep showing me these little fetuses or something, and they just look all rainbowy and they inject them with different. It's like a a wet specimen almost that they inject with different dyes. I think. It has something to do with the dyes that they use in MRIs. Oh, okay. I could be wrong. I'm probably wrong. Right. I don't know a lot about it. But I, I know what you're talking about. Those I didn't know there were so, cool. so many. I don't know. I didn't realize there were so many, like, that you wouldn't do that. Like, that. there's so many, like, like um, specializations. There is. Mm. Yeah. And that every like everyone kind of takes this um, morbid fascination and goes in their own direction with it well, because really some people cool. right like they're doing rogue will piece together kind of mm-hmm. frankenstein mm-hmm. monsters like take a bit of this a and a bit of, yes yeah stuff like that you gotta make that jackalope yeah you know the jackalope. You gotta, you gotta make that jackalope so do you have like any sort of like um i don't know like thinking around all of it like or is it purely like are, is this a crafty thing or do you have like some art kind of thoughts about this i not am to put not you on the spot. <laughs> sure no that's it's something i think about a lot as i'm trying to inject myself into one scene or another right now and i don't know where i fit in i don't know if it's art or craft i i call it a craft because it's a lot of tedious work with your hands and that's what I think of when I think of craft. But I also think it's an, I think it's an art. I think it belongs in galleries. Um, but there's uh, a lot of rejection letters in my inbox that would <laughs> tell you otherwise. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I think I love, like we have, um, there is still a competition in New York, I believe. But for the last six years, we've had a competition in Philly. Of rogue taxidermy, we don't. I call it alternative taxidermy, um, and you see such a wide variety of where everyone has taken this craft and what they've produced. And there's wet specimen. There's the people. There's who someone rubberized. You know the um, the Body Worlds tour where yes. it was the humans. Oh, so yeah. that technique of In- they like inject it with resin or something, right? Or like so someone did that with a cat. And the cat felt like a Barbie doll. Like it felt rubbery and smelled rubbery. And so everyone's doing, people are making like light up objects and objects like animatronics and so many cool things. And I look around like this stuff, this should be in a gallery. I love it. What do you think it is? Why do you think everyone's into it right now? Like what is it? Because it's everywhere and it wasn't everywhere like nine years ago. I think... I think there's a a demographic of artists who really identify with um, I wanting to it's hard for me to say because I don't want to just like lump us all together in this like mental group. Right. But I I feel like we all kind of share the same kind of sort of a longing to hold on to things and a need to control something 
that may, and maybe this is like all artists have this where I can take this, this thing that's just like a rotting corpse and I can work my hands and turn it into something completely different that will be seen by a whole new group of people who like would never would have met this animal and it's got a whole new life. And, and I, ooh, is that a God complex? I just realized that sounds so <laughs> gross. I, I was going to say it's like controlling the narrative a little. Like it's almost like you're controlling the narrative for the animal. But uh, I don't know. There's so many things because it's you're dealing with death and you're dealing with life and then you're animating. And I don't know. Like what I don't, it might be. But I don't want to project on all the other sure. just, alternative taxonomists out there. But your, I feel like we're a sad kind of people like we're a little sad and melancholy melancholy and it's a way to like I I kind of like dealing with death I like I like feeling grief another reason I don't like working with pets actually is because I feel so um I just feel like I like to listen to sad music but I'm also a very happy person too but I I feel all the feelings right and when I'm dealing with someone who's like freshly grieving a pet, it's so hard not to just absorb all of that grief and then walk through the rest of my day so upset. Like, I don't know how people are funeral directors because you're dealing with that all day long, every day. And it's hard to be totally desensitized to it. But I think, I think that it's maybe it's because we have hard times right now and the world is on fire and this is like a lot of depressed artists like <laughs> maybe I'm just gonna cut up this squirrel <laughs> and be alone for eight hours <laughs> whoa <laughs> i think you're gonna say something about tech like that we're moving so quickly into this place where we're all so into like their the phones and the the computers and everything and like we're we're just like i don't know it's like you're like it's like you're going back to the like birth and death are kind of the like that's the those are the bookends like that's yeah. the basic. It's like you guys are there, but I don't know. Maybe you don't think about that I the whole time. You are probably hitting the nail on the head. Actually, oh, really? I think I was just emotionally projecting. No, no, I the God complex <laughs> thing no. is interesting because I think filmmakers have that too. Well, I think you're that, like, that extends I to everyone. I want to tell the story. Like I must tell you this story, and you're gonna sit there and you're gonna look at it. <laughs> <laughs> this is my story. I think, I think anyone who makes something yeah. has a little bit of that. Yeah. Maybe because you, you are, that that is what is inherent to making. And whether you consider making breeding or you are making artwork or whether you call it craft, I think that it's bringing something into the world to elicit a feeling either for yourself or for someone else. Um, but, but really it's kind of you are in control you made this thing and now it exists mm -hmm. and and it can influence others and it can kind of take on a life of its own but you are the creator at yeah. that point and maybe it's yeah for people who all kinds of craft and art it's when you want to express something and you have no idea how to there's no words so you just 
Whip up a rabbit. <laughs> Make it into a handbag. That is awesome. <laughs> oh my God. I'm so fascinated now. This is not something that was like in my purview and now I'm like totally fascinated. I'm going to go do a lot of research on it. Beth, we have a recurring segment called uh, Best Tool, Worst Fail, where Ooh. we'd like you to talk about your favorite tool that mm. you use in your uh, in your making. And then what's the uh, what's the worst thing that's... What's your worst fail? Biggest blunder? Oh, okay. Uh, my favorite tool would be my knife. Um, it's just, uh, I call it a piranha knife, but that's actually not how you pronounce it. But that's when I see the word in the catalog, that's what it looks like to me. But it's just your standard um, surgical steel uh, flip open kind of knife. Switchblade? <laughs> you went from like, you went from like I a surgical say. scalpel in my mind to like a switchblade. Like, what, like what are you I talking about? She was going to say like a butter knife, and then it's she was a like garden variety shank. <laughs> did you make it out of a toothbrush? What are we talking about? Here? Soap. It's actually it's it's a switchblade that holds a surgical steel blade in it, so you can fold oh. it up. And you know, clip it in your pocket. But the the shape of it and the way it handles in your hand, um, I don't know. It's it's not a very exciting tool. It's just a knife. But no, it's, no, it doesn't have to be. So is it the same knife or is it a brand of knife? It's a brand. So they wear out. Um, no, but you change the blades. Ah, I see. Okay. So I and I love every time I start a new specimen. I change the. I have a whole little ritual where I change the blade. And I burn a little incense, and I talk to the animal for a minute, and then I cut open. For real? Yeah. That is awesome. And, like, the feeling of cutting with a brand new, like, out of the foil, fresh surgical blade, how it just is, like, hot knife through butter. It's so nice. And I tell all my students, invest the money in a good knife, because if you're, if you're playing around with these X-Acto blades you're going to wind up cutting yourself or like tearing holes and everything. I moral of the story is you get what you pay for and invest in a good tool for your craft. Mm-hmm. Like a nice switch blade. <laughs> <laughs> I I definitely need to do some some deep googling on what this what exactly really? this is. We're going to have to put up a link. You have to put a pi- you have to send yeah, a yeah, picture yeah. Oh, of yes, your knife. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Fail. Um, fail time. Fail. The, the worst one I can think of is uh, I had a fail recently for a competition, but that was more of a fail of like time management. And I was, it was more like a, I'm very sad that I had this much time to do this thing. I didn't budget my time. I came up short and now I've got this like thing that's okay, but it's not what I'm capable of. Um, but a really big, awful fail was probably like, when I first got my studio, when I had a studio out in Kensington, and this woman wanted me, I bit off way more than I could chew. She brought in her dead pet snake, and it was like a 10-foot-long ball python. And she wanted, she was an artist, and she wanted to do some kind of performance piece around it. And she wanted me to pose the snake as the human intestines, so kind of wrapping in that coiling shape and also like replicate like 
the esophagus and the mouth of the snake would be the human mouth and then like the end of the snake would be terminating in the colon of a human and I was like yeah sure I can do that and it was <laughs> my first snake I'd ever done oh my god and it was I didn't know what I was doing and I was like too stubborn to ask anyone for help and so I wound up trying to stuff it with that like crayola fluffy clay i don't oh, know if you've ever seen it's, it's for kids it's yeah, like for it's, um gosh what is it called it's like oh. foamy clay oh i know what it is and it's very light yes it's super cool it is it's, like, so it's an cool. amazing material it's a great actually. idea model magic model magic model, model magic, magic. Yeah. well it's yeah, not yeah. for taxidermy <laughs> wait was this before or after you went to school after oh i really, really should he didn't teach us reptiles we oh, didn't learn reptiles okay. but i I did a few cursory searches and then, but I was like, well, for what I'm doing, I should use this stuff because to use um, hardened mannequin foam to make that shape would be impossible. Right, and then have to, to work do so it with fast. To with clay, it would be too hard and brittle. So I just thought this would be the thing. It never dries, it never hardens. And so this woman, It just kind of gets spongy, right? She came like to pick up her snake. And I started crying the second she walked in the room. And I was like, I'm not going to charge you. Because the whole thing would just, you had to prop it up with sticks. Because it was all like, whoa, walking, wavy, wacky flag guy. <laughs> I'm imagining one of those things outside a car. That's exactly car what it like. It's like your fans are like horror movies. <laughs> it's like so weird. Like it's so, I'm having such a hard And it was her time. pet. It was her pet. Was she cool about it? She, I started crying so hard (laughs) that she had to comfort me (laughs) and hug me. And I just gave it to her in a box like, I don't know what you're going to do with this, but don't pay me. Just take it. Get it out of my life. And then she was kind of like, well, I'm going to make it work. And if you want to come to my art show... And I was like, no, we're never going to see each other again. You will never see me again. I am going to live with this shame for the rest of my life. Wow. So I have no idea where she is or what happened to the snake. I have a question. What about that, like, spray foam? Oh, great stuff. But would I just, like, spray that into the mouth? <laughs> I didn't, I don't, I'm not <laughs> saying that's appropriate. It probably would have turned out even worse. <sighs> but is that, like, a thing that maybe... That, it could, could but if you think about the length of it, by the time she got the whole thing oh. packed, it would be lumpy full. and weird. And lumpy. She wouldn't have time to. Yeah. What I by the time it cured. <laughs> what I've learned since then in my um, adventures in uh, mold making and casting, I actually Darla helped me cast uh, make molds out of two dogs. She taught me a lot. And so ideally, I should have asked for a lot more money because I would have needed a bigger budget for that project Uh and made like sculpted an actual mold and then injected it with foam and then had like that whole thing to wrap the skin around. But Oh, I just going to before we wind up, I just want to ask one more thing because I think this is interesting. You just mentioned money. Mm hmm. How tell me about how it how you found your pricing? Like how hard was it? How hard was it for you to be like this is really what I need for this or is it the kind of person who's bringing it to you is just like yes, that makes sense or like cuz I feel like it's something that's very hard for artists to price themselves oh, accurately. It is. <laughs> it really is. Um for my like first after I went to school, um, I just got 
kind of a pricing guide from my instructor. Oh, that's so handy. Yeah, and it was kind of, but then also if someone will come to me and say, um, hey, I've got this, this bird, how much do you charge for that? I'll still go online and see what other taxidermists charge. For that and kind of like explore because the prices vary they're all over the place and so i'll kind of i kind of try i i'll take i'll take all of the different prices into a i don't know into account and then think well, what like am i adding flair to this and how much is it worth my time and then sometimes i just price things by this is what it's worth to me and it in no way reflects the materials or the time, which I know makes no sense. That's crazy. And this is why I'm not a successful <laughs> artist. <laughs> See, every artist that I have spoken to, they answer just like you. It's like this, it's like you never once were like, well, it will take me this many hours to do this thing. And so I want to charge myself. Because I want to Jenny, pay you. <laughs> how do you count hours? Do I count the hours that I'm laying in bed at four in the morning? Like, okay, if I uh, hook it up this way. Yes, you're supposed way, to. Then, I know then a no glass one will ever art- be able to afford my art. I know a glass artist who not only includes all of that, but he includes... If it's a disaster, what it's going to take him to do a second one, that's what he charges people. Yeah. And you know, if you're truly figuring it out, you're taking all of your materials, all of your hours, right, that you're going to pay yourself. Mm -hmm. And then that is not, you're not making a profit at that point. So then you have to add on, and then you have to double it, right? Because if you're, unless you're only ever going to sell for yourself, if you're ever going to sell at a gallery or anything like that, they're going to take at least 50%. I right? know. So then you have to double it, and that's your price. Who's going to fucking pay that, though? Know, people the, do. Some percent. I have one more question for you before we break, because I feel like I can't, one, date myself as an old internet man and to talk about taxidermy without asking you about chuck testa what oh chuck testa how do you You feel about that chuck testa i actually really like chuck testa i think that he's very inclusive and i think that he is so he rose to internet fame when um he had a commercial that was like so insane (laughs) and ludicrous it was like he he posed a deer head to look as if it was driving a jeep and you can tell he filmed the whole thing in his neighborhood and someone would point at the jeep and be like what's that it's chuck testa well it'd be like is that a deer driving a jeep and he'd be like nope chuck testa it was amazing is that a bear in the bed is he a taxidermist he is yeah and he's pretty good he's Very good. Yeah. Um, but if you, he he has hundreds of YouTube instructional videos where he has other taxidermists come on and work with him on pieces. And it's really cool because he's a very traditional, conventional taxidermist from like the old school. But on his YouTube tutorials, he'll have new um, kids from like the rogue movement and the alternative <laughs> movement. Yeah doing kind of what they do and so he's very i like him a lot and i respect him for that because a lot of the older guys um really will loudly voice their disinterest in what some of the newer more artsy folks are doing with their craft so i love chuck testa I that's think awesome that's the super cool here Besta. <laughs> yeah you did <laughs> you totally did it amazing <laughs> 
Well, Beth, thank you so much uh, for for coming on Craft Chat. The pleasure was mine. Can you, uh, <laughs> why don't you tell the people where they can find you? Website, internet, me- social meds? Yeah. Sure. I mostly update Instagram. So that's Diamond Tooth Taxidermy on Instagram. And my website is diamondtoothtaxidermy.com. And that's the only two places you'll find me. All right. And Genevieve, where can people find us? Um, you can find us uh, at Craft Chat Pod on Instagram and uh, on the web, the same, craftchatpod.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. Cheers.